You're listening to The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM with me, Jack Thurston. And that sound you're hearing now in the background is the sound of a sewing machine. And it's no ordinary sewing machine. It's the sewing machine that sits in the workshop of Cyclodelic, which is a uh, small London-based clothing and accessories company run by Amy Fleurio. And this week on the show, Amy and I are going for a ride. After I arrived at her studio, I began by asking her what was wrong with the state of clothing made for bicyclists. There's just too much lycra and fluoro around for um, commuter cycling and women's wear especially. Uh, There's nothing, very little out there in the terms of specific clothing for women. It's normally just men's stuff that they've cut slightly differently. So I wanted to create something that allowed women to feel feminine and smart but still have functional gear to ride their bike in. And we're going to ride from here in West Hackney down to the West End to Topshop, where you've got the last day of your concession stand in Topshop, right? Yeah, that's right. We've been there for, I think, three months now. It was a three-month contract. Um, and we've been selling our accessories in Topshop's flagship store on Oxford Street. Uh, and this evening, we're going to move the concession stand from Topshop into Valerution, just down the road. And so along the way, hopefully we'll pick off a few sites and places of note in the history of clothing and fashion in London and um, talk a bit more about Cyclodelic. Really, you got your bike? Yep, I've got my bike. Okay, Let's go. I'll follow you. <laughs> machine a girl's best friend if i didn't have my sewing machine i'd have come to no good end but a bobbin a bobbin a pedal a pedal and wheel the wheel by day so by night i feel so weary that i never get off the place this is a a fashion feature we ought to talk a little bit about certainly your bike which is um looking pretty sparkly uh it's kind of golden green theme what is it? Road bike conversion with yeah, the track yeah, bars? Yeah, it is. It's a road bike conversion that I've got as a fixed wheel. Um, bright green with gold nitto, track drops, um, stem and seat post. Um, I've got gold continental tyres and um, gold hubs and uh, a very old brown brook saddle. <laughs> and what you didn't mention is the rather uh, appealing mudguard, which is also in green to match the frame. Talk us through the mudguard. Yeah, the mudguard was designed by my boyfriend, Christopher Delia. Um, it's, uh, it's out of recycled bottles and it's, it just screws off. So all I'm left with is a little, little green bottle cap in sunny weather. And it's a kind of series of bottles, it looks like, that are joined together with cable ties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. In- ingenious. Yes. I mean, do you think ingenuity is an important part of designing clothes and accessories for cyclists absolutely i mean if you look back to the victorian times designers were like inventors uh designing the latest fashions so that victorian women could for example hook their skirts up out of the way of spoke rims so bike design and fashion design go hand in hand with sort of invention and there's also the importance i suppose of making things that function in more than one way because I guess the criticism of a lot of traditional 
modern cycling clothing is that it's very much oriented around the bicycle yeah. and, and, like, and being on the bike and like riding hard. And then it looks kind of a bit strange, out of place in any other situation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the reason I love riding my bike so much is it allows me to move in and out of social situations really easily, quickly. I can fit more into my day, um, but I can't do that if my clothing doesn't look good uh, in all those situations. So all our designs uh, are supposed to be adaptable for that reason. So you can get off your bike and not look like a cyclist, but be comfortable while cycling. But, but what's wrong with looking like a cyclist? There's nothing wrong with looking like a cyclist. I mean, I'm a big fan. And what does a cyclist look like? What does a cyclist look like? Well, when I say looks like a cyclist, I think it's the, the stereotype of people in lycra and fluoro jackets, um, which is absolutely fine for long rides, but it's not necessary for urban commuting. Do you think there's still a stigma associated with cycling and giving yourself away as a cyclist or is is it now the case that if you turn up with bicycle paraphernalia you're actually claiming i don't know not exactly the moral high ground but you're claiming a measure of respect from other people i think it really depends what sort of cyclist you are in what situation you are i mean amongst um sort of male roadies it's it's all the rage to wear the latest sporting gear and people of course know how expensive all that stuff is so Yes, in that sense it's right, but uh, I think in, in some parts of the UK, not so much London anymore, there is still a stigma attached to looking like a cyclist. And where do you think that stigma comes from? What are its roots? Um, I personally think it all went slightly wrong in the 80s with all the lycra and fluoro colours, tight and bright, um, which is, is coming back a bit in the mainstream fashion, but being reinvented in a slightly more modern way. Uh, do you look back at what people riding bikes were wearing in the past before you know they took this wrong fork in the road in the 1980s to, to get inspiration for your designs yeah absolutely um, I did a lot of research at the National Cycling Archive in Coventry um, and found these wonderful old magazines called the Lady Cyclists that were all about Victorian fashions um, and then of course there's Evelyn Hamilton who um, is a big idol of mine she used to wear some fantastic clothes and cycled 100 miles a day for 100 days in uh, just normal knitted leg warmers and beautiful little tweed shorts and silk scarves uh, so I think there's a lot to be taken from the times before Lycra. <laughs> so we're now on Fournier Street, which has to be one of the most beautiful streets in this part of town, um, in Spitalfields, just coming up to kind of Liverpool Street Station and Spitalfields Market. This is kind of Huguenot-era um, townhouses, kind of four-storey townhouses. And, and the church here, is that...? That's not a Wren church, is it? Or a Hawksmoor sure. church? It looks definitely from that era. I'm not very good on London churches, but it has that kind of white stone and that classical style that looks like it. I think these houses are really, really beautiful. Well, a lot of them were built up, um, I think, around the 16th century, but I might be No, they're much later than that, I think. Later. I think like seven, 17. 17. I know they were built by... Um, French weavers that came yeah, over here yeah. and set, built the houses. Um, they were quite wealthy. Yeah, the French Huguenot yeah, exactly. weavers, yeah, who were, were they ex expelled 
from yes, France. Yeah. They were, yeah. yeah. Um, this is quite such an interesting area because it's been always been taken over by um, sort of immigrants from different areas that have settled in the area and really created an industry out of it. So this would have been Rag Trade headquarters at, at a certain point in London's development, just outside the city walls. Absolutely, yeah. This was the perfect area for, for people coming in to trade in because they, they weren't put under the restrictions of the city of London. Uh, so that's why it became such a thriving area for the rag trade. But what's it like trying to make things in London and competing with this global market? I mean, you talk about the restrictions that were put on the weavers mm. hundreds of years ago, but I guess those restrictions would have been put to make more money for them and in a way that's like you know the restrictions that people try and put now to keep stuff from China out or India out is, is there ever going to be a, a rag trade without sweatshops and what's the place for someone like you who's not wanting to play that globalization game it's very difficult. I mean, um, my studio I work from is, is definitely turning into a sweatshop <laughs> very rapidly. We're well, well below minimum wage at the moment. Um, but I, we would really like to keep manufacture in the UK um, and it's just finding those resources to be able to do it. I think the, the government, certain legislations that they've passed have unfortunately made it far easier for companies to manufacture abroad and there needs to be a lot more support for local industry in keeping production in the UK. Um, but there's definitely a turnaround. A lot of people I know and I've spoken to that have recently graduated um, are very much on the same wavelength. So I think over the next few years we're going to see some changes. But you're never going to get rid of the cheap stuff that keeps you know, the likes of Topshop mm. going, you know, this disposable clothing that we now have, that stuff that's made out uh, for a pittance in the Far East. Uh, you not no, not in the near future, but what we can hope is to change people's minds and make the consumer more aware of where their clothing's coming from and the real price of the manufacture of these cheap goods. And so do you think there's a quality price you're talking about in terms of the stuff just falls apart, or do you think it's actually the, the sheer ethical question of whether it's okay to be buying stuff that's from you know places that don't allow unions that have children working in them and all kinds of bad, bad terms and conditions I think it's both um, I mean you can get some excellent quality abroad but there are a lot of places that you've just got to think how is that product how is that t-shirt made to retail at three pounds you know that's just not possible without cutting some sort of human, basic human rights or using the cheapest way of manufacture. Well, we're here in Spitterfields Market and we now have a little undercover task because in, um, I think it's the cycle surgery or is it the Evans it's here? Evans. It's Evans here. Evans. Okay, Evans is, if you ask me, the Tesco Walmart of London cycling, the kind of shop that sells everything but nothing in a way. I try not to go there. It, it, it used to be a very nice shop that sold very good touring bikes. Um, not made by them, but made by another frame builder under their mark. And um, it's gone kind of downhill now and it's owned by some venture capital company. Anyway, they are stocking a line of women's specific, I think is it women's specific cycling clothing or is it just general cycling clothing that's supposed to be kind of fashionable yeah, or fashion they, oriented? Yeah, I think there's a men's, a couple of men's, okay, styles, so men's as well. styles as well. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sort of new line of fashionable cycling clothing which has been pushed quite heavily 
Um, I'm not sure with actual direct financial sponsorship from Transport for London, but certainly quite a lot of assistance from Transport for London. And I wasn't sure whether this was a very good thing for Transport for London to be spending its money on, our money on, because Transport for London is, of course, part of the government of London and the mayor's office. And if you ask me, they should be doing the things that only they can do, like making the road safer and cracking down on illegal HGVs that haven't got mirrors and have got poorly trained drivers or making bike lanes or paying for cycle training, not paying for bicycle clothing lines, particularly when there's people like Amy who are trying to do it off their own bats without government support. Anyway, that's a little hobby horse of mine, but we haven't actually had a look at this clothing, so we don't really know what we're talking about. <laughs> I did uh, I did have a sneak preview of it, actually, at um, the Earl's Court bike show okay. last year, so I have a little okay. idea of what it looks like. Right, well, we're going to go and um, take a look. Um, I'm not quite sure how much I'm going to be able to record in here, so we might be that we're going to go undercover, mm-hmm. undercover in Evans. You lock up the bike somewhere. Where is where is Evans? It's just around the back okay. of the Yes, Billfield Market has changed beyond all recognition in the last few years. It's been turned into another kind of fairly anonymous mall full of chain stores, right? Yeah. Quite sad, really. It is sad because it used to be a hub for new designers and. Um, small up-and-coming businesses and it just seems that we keep getting pushed further and further out beyond the city walls <laughs> so to speak at this um, this clothing range. What's it called? Bespoke. Yes. Bespoke. 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 Yeah. And you've got the catalogue here, which has got um, charming couple standing on Westminster Bridge. And the motto is ride, walk, live. So there's some jumpers. Yeah. Some slacks. Some slacks. Uh, a jacket um, in a very exciting khaki. Khaki cream yeah, colour. Cream, and, uh, yeah. Cream, yeah. It's very cream. That. That's going to get really dirty easily, isn't it? I guess I probably didn't want to like it, so I think <laughs> I went in with a strong prejudice against this. But I'm glad to say that my prejudice has been shown to be well founded. I tried on a, a, a merino wool jacket, I think it's the, the Edgeware model. Um, that had a kind of bin bag stitched in the front. I think it was a windproof sort of layer uh, in the front of the jacket. Okay, put your windproofing on the inside yeah. rather than the outside. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then there were some trousers, which I think were probably the least um, offensive of everything. Mm. Um, you didn't approve of the, the the fastening they had at the at the heel. Well, they had a they had a ankle. they had a Velcro fastening around the bottom, which, in my opinion, would get quite muddy and waterlogged. Um, so they wouldn't retain its stick, so it stick for very long. Its stickiness at all. No. So what should it have instead? Um, it should have either press studs or just be used with an ankle band uh, or a little buckle, something other than Velcro, really. I don't think there's 
anything particularly um, new about the way it's styled. They've, they've taken quite a traditional approach. It's just interesting how they've called it contemporary and timeless, which Jack and I thought a nice combination of words. Yeah. <laughs> I'm never yeah. going to get any funding from TFL now, am I? <laughs> I'm gonna put on my dress that hits me way above my knees with that feet cut back forget his steps instead of want to ride bikes. I mean obviously there are the things that make everybody not want to ride bikes which is you know safety and and bad weather and uh, fear of not being able to be in control of the machine. Is it the same things for women or just to a greater degree or, or are there are different things uh, yeah, that are going I think, on? I think it's the same thing definitely for women. Um, it's just that Boys are brought up, you know, playing out in the streets on their BMXs, um, taught how to fix their bikes, and that doesn't happen so much with women. So there's a sort of whole sort of two or three missed generations of women that just haven't been brought up um, with bikes in their lives and then find it a lot more difficult and scary to get into it at a later age. So what was your... So did you grow up riding bikes? I did, yes. My dad uh, is, is very into his outdoor stuff. He's a climber and uh, works as a tree surgeon. And we lived in Derbyshire for about seven years and he used to take me out on gruelling bike rides in the freezing cold. Actually almost put me off for a while um, until I, I came down to London and just realised that I wanted to get back into it. So how long were you not cycling? From what age to what age? I cycled for, for a little bit when I was in my teens, to and from school, um, but there were gaps probably of two, three years in between the ages of 12 and 18, 19, where I didn't... It's been said to me that that is the age at which girls do stop riding bikes and never start again. Can you remember back to that time in your life and why you weren't riding a bike? Why did you just drift away from it? Why did it not seem a natural thing to do like it does now? I think exactly that, it just where I was living um, at that time in Staffordshire, it wasn't a natural thing, you didn't see people on their bikes, none of my friends rode bikes, um, it just wasn't talked about, you know, it just wasn't uh, a spoken about method of transport, so it just never even crossed my mind to get one, everything revolved around the car, or walking. And then coming to London, things changed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started off getting the tube, that was too expensive, got the bus, got fed up of waiting for an hour, thought, hang on, I can walk quicker than this. So I started walking from Columbia Road, where I lived, um, into Oxford Circus, and then I'd suddenly, you know, started to see all these cyclists whizzing past and thought, what the hell am I doing walking? It's taking me an hour. I'm going to get a bike. 
So I did, and at first it, it took a bit of a wrangle. I got my old bike off my mum, but she didn't want to let me have it. This is probably something that a lot of people face. You know, she thought it was far too dangerous, didn't want me riding on the roads. Uh, but I was absolutely determined to, and I haven't looked back since. <laughs> we found quite a nice contraflow cycle route, um, which is just parallel to Old Street and Clerkenwell Road, where you see loads of cyclists going along all the time. Um, and it's also a road that's seen a couple of deaths of cyclists. It's not the safest of roads, so it's an ideal thing to have this kind of parallel road that's a bit quieter. We're just passing a guy riding a Christiania trike. Hello there. Yeah, yeah on delivery. Yeah, delivery. What are you delivering? We're delivering some food from our valuable customers. And what's inside there? Some salad? We have or? salad, uh, uh, sandwiches, and uh, yeah, that's, that's about it. And do you like the uh, tricycle? It's very cool, it's very uh, nice, easy to drive, uh, it's, yeah, it's perfect for, for, for delivering food. Yeah, and what do the customers think of it? They love it. They were thinking for me, every time they see me, they're smiling, and, and because I'm sure what they're doing is really pretty boring, but, you know, me and Puff as well, so uh, I provide services that give some smile and it's just happy. You see it, I'm dead, you know? Yeah, really look, yeah. Because <laughs> you're not on a bike. <laughs> no, now we've not. now got... <laughs> 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 All right. Why aren't you? Why aren't you on the? Uh, why aren't you on your bicycles? Whoa! Right, watch out, mate. Blimey! Everyone wants to be on the bike show today. They do. What they, they don't do. understand, what the what the youth of East London doesn't understand, is to get on the bike show. They need to get on their bikes. Yeah, they do. Or maybe if we find some youth on their bikes. Yeah. Well, where does it? Where chat. does the youth go on their bikes? Um. To the half pipe somewhere probably yeah. in one of the parks. <laughs> yeah, probably. to our final destination which is the mighty top shop now i kind of guess we're taking for granted that everyone who's listening to the show in london and the rest of the uk knows what top shop is but there are probably people in the world who don't know what top shop is aren't there yeah do you want to um do some education top shops uh, become in recent years one of the biggest and most well-known high street fashion retailers they're owned by Philip Green now uh, who is somewhat of a, a god in 
retail management. Uh, they've got the range by Kate Moss and they've just recently opened their first store in New York. And so it's very fashion-y but kind of affordable. Exactly. Right. It's um, very sort of young fashion. They've got Topshop and Top Man. They've just included Topshop Maternity as well. Um, and within the store, they also have their concessions. So people like myself that open up and sell their own labels within the shop. So they're quite supportive of, of new brands as well in that sense. And it's quite a brash experience walking over the threshold of a Topshop store, isn't it? It's quite loud, quite bright, yeah. quite crowded, yeah. quite... Kind of, um, and here we are, let's go in, let's we'll see how long it takes for them to turn and tell us we can't um, record. Alright, well we've come through Miss Selfridge zone, through some handbag zone, to your psychedelic stand so here it is yes yeah the stand was designed um, and made by my boyfriend uh, Christopher Delia and it's got uh, a lot of cycling elements to it so we've got a wheel that's a, a mirror that's a bike rim with a mirror set into it we've got a little saddle on here um, and so it's quite it's quite compact it's like a little I don't know like a little ice cream stand or something yeah. like that isn't it and I guess all the colors are quite ice cream like aren't they yeah yeah. Um, and you've got the cuffs, which I guess are your kind of trademark product from the early, early days, yeah, which are the ankle cuffs that keep your trouser leg out of the chain and also give you some visibility at night and clip on, not with Velcro. Yeah, there's the poppers, the poppers, each one hand done in West Hackney. Absolutely, yes, we spent hours and hours popping poppers into cuffs <laughs> um, and they use a beaded reflective fabric little tool bag, bag. It's tool bag patent oh that's quite nice bag. patent leather tool bag yeah wow that's great um, and then we've got a little cylindrical saddle bag that you can just sit underneath your saddle and then the strap adjusts so you can also carry it around so yeah. there's an evening yeah. bag or going out thing great big messenger bag um, with leather trim and a reflective wheel print on the front. Um, so how's it done? It's done well. It's been so great being here. It's got, you know, it's got so much attention from all over the world, really. And it's been, it's been really great to, to talk to people that have come to see the stand as well and get their opinions on the products. So did you go to Topshop with the idea of having your stuff here or did they come to you? Well, Topshop had a display of bikes in their window at the start of this year. Um, and that night I was at a social event and one of my sister's friends uh, runs Radcliffe Denim. We're just launching a concession within the store. And they had a meeting with their buyer and she's actually a cyclist herself and said she put in a good word for me. And they were immediately interested, went in for a meeting and that was that. Apparently a lot of people um, who work here do cycle to work a lot of the women and there have been talks about doing something with it for quite a while so we just got in at a good time well i was riding there with amy florio of cyclodelic and the uh, cyclodelic uh, caravan is um uh, sitting now in the velarusian uh, shop 
on Great Titchfield Street um, in the West End, and it's well worth a visit. Uh, Amy tells me that the new uh, range of clothing for women will be coming out um, in September, although they may be taking pre-orders before that. So do check out the website, Google for Cyclodelic, and um, you'll get straight there. Well, that's the end of the current season of The Bike Show. I will be back in the autumn for the uh, autumn season. I've not got much time left, but I want to uh, use what time I do have to um, to pay tribute to the show which follows The Bike Show on a Monday evening. And that's a show called One Life Left. And it's a show about uh, video games. Um, it's not only a radio show about video games. It's, it's practically a way of life. It's, it's a form of being. This is a show which... Um, it's impossible to fluster. You know, I can throw all kinds of things at them during the handover. I mean, we're here in resonance in, in the studios. We've, we've only got one studio, so the changeovers have to be made pretty quickly. And uh, over the last few weeks, um, with the Tour de France on, we've had very packed shows on the bike show and um, given very little time for the handover to One Life Left. But, you know, they've just, they've just taken it in their stride and they're such professionals. I mean, you look up there. I mean, Stee, Simon and Anne up there on the podium um, but it's a different kind of podium at One Life Left it's not it's not first second and third they're there each of them with a gold medal round their necks um, you know if the bike show were the London to Brighton bike ride then One Life Left would be the Tour de France I mean if, if you were to make a, a bicycle which embodied the ethos of the bike show you know you'd, it would probably be a sort of lugged steel affair fairly traditional um, you know decent workmanship you know, but but nothing, but nothing, um, nothing revolutionary. If you were to make a bicycle that embodied one life left, it would be made of the latest carbon fibre, titanium. You know, it would be painted by Damien Hirst. I mean, that's that's the quality of this show. So I salute you, One Life Left. Have a great show. I'll be back in the autumn. Ride safely, and goodbye for now.